Thank you, Ted. Excuse my voice. I had a wedding yesterday. It was a radical one. I was just screaming the whole way through. This morning, we're beginning a new series entitled Internal Government, and it's going to be a three-part series. This morning, we're going to be looking at clarity. You see, the idea of governing means to control, to strongly influence the actions and the conduct of. And so what we want to look at is how we control the conduct of our lives. It's important that we understand our part in this role as followers of Christ. We have a responsibility to control ourselves. There's a proverb in Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now, in our time and age, you know, this doesn't mean as much as it did when the proverb was written. You see, at that time, the, the warfare that was waged was done with spears and swords and bow and arrows. There was no, you know, smart bombs. There was no heat sinking missiles or anything like that. And so if you had a wall that was high enough for people not to be able to climb over, you were protected. And if those walls were broken down, then the enemy could just come in. And when we don't have self-control in our lives, we are open for destruction. And I've seen it over and over again, and you have too, where people of faith, people who believe in Christ, have knowledge of the Lord, but their lives are just constantly being defeated. And this idea of governing ourselves, we seem to know what that looks like in every other arena of life except our spiritual arena. You guys know what it looks like in other aspects. Musicians. You guys know who, you know, a great guitar player or a cellist or a a pianist, you know, someone who's just world-renowned. They didn't just get that way. They didn't just wake up one morning and, yeah, I just started playing and it all came to me. I remember hearing Cal Ripken, you know, baseball's Iron Man, one time they said, well, you have a natural swing. And he goes, well, that natural swing developed by me swinging the bat 300 times every day. In other words, by the discipline of my life, I developed that. That guitar player, yeah, it's because I play those scales all the time. I developed the dexterity. I developed the ability to be able to do what I do. And we we see that in those areas of life. And we expect those things in areas of life. I mean, when you go to a brain surgeon, if you happen to be going to one, you want a, a brain surgeon who has disciplined their life and has studied the brain. You want them to know all about the brain. You want that brain surgeon to be someone who has stayed extra hours in class, who excelled, who who graduated the top of his class, who knows the brain inside and out. You don't want a brain surgeon who just feels his way through things. I've got a great brain surgeon. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Jack. You should should go to Jack. He really knows the book of Romans. That's great, but I don't want him in my head unless he knows the brain. You know, you go to Jack, the the MD, and he goes, yeah, you know, I I really just pray and ask God to lead me when I'm in there. (laughs) Ask him to guide my hands. It's like, well, I don't mind if you pray, but I want you to be disciplined to know what you're doing. Even mechanics. I don't want a mechanic who just goes up and he opens your car hood and he goes, well, let's just pray right now. Let's join hands. Let's lay hands on this engine. Now, I have laid hands on the engine before. But if I'm taking my car to a mechanic and I'm going to be paying them money, I want that mechanic to know what they're doing. I want the mechanic who is into cars who say, oh, yeah, oh, great, this is a Hemi 247 or whatever, you know, it is. And he knows the engines and he's involved with that and he loves cars and he talks about them in his sleep and drives his wife crazy and he wakes up and he loves the smell of motor oil in the morning. You know, I want that guy working on my car 
because he's into this and he knows that. He's disciplined himself. He works on cars constantly in his time off. He reads car magazines and he wants to be involved with that. And so we know what governing our lives looks like in all these different arenas. But from, for some reason, when we come into our spiritual life, it's like magic all of a sudden, and we're absolved from responsibility. It's no longer a matter of discipline. It's a matter of, oh, well, I just wait on God, and God just is going to make my life change. And it just doesn't work that way. Now, in all these areas, God's involved. You see, God gives a person talent to be able to do whatever they do. Gives them the ability to to coordinate the mind, to finger coordination, the dexterity to play. But let's face it, not everyone who's six foot eight can slam dunk a basketball or hit a three-pointer. For that to happen, they have to take what abilities they have, they have to put them into practice and develop them. And when God does a work in our lives and changes our lives, it doesn't absolve us from responsibility to contribute to what he's doing. And we need to recognize our responsibility in this area. There's a direct connection between governing yourself and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If if you don't understand this, the consequences can be devastating. And just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean you are governed by Christ. And this devastation can be involved in so many areas. We've seen it time and time again. You see, you were designed with the will And there will never be a time when personal responsibility and spiritual maturity don't work together. Let me say that again. There will never be a time when personal responsibility and spiritual maturity don't work together. It doesn't just happen. God gave you a will. And it is that that determines where you will end up. I have been a follower of Christ for over 30 years. I know you're saying, how can you look so young? (laughs) But in that 30 years, I can't tell you how many people I've seen start off strong. They had such a passion for the things of God. They were so committed And somewhere along their life, they crashed and burned. They fell in some moral capacity. They lost their marriage. They were given over by addictions and and problems. And their life just came to this crash, and, and they've lost so many things, overwhelmed with depression and abandoning their faith. And it doesn't matter how strong you start off. I mean, I've known couples, they were so devout. When they were going through their dating period, they, we don't even kiss. Like, okay. Bummer. No, I, <laughs> I there's like, okay, we don't even, you know, that's, we're just not even going to kiss. We're going to abstain from any physical contact. Oh, great. And everyone's, oh, did you see Joey and, and Cindy? You know, they're so, if you're Joey and Cindy, I'm not picking on you. Um, you know, they're so devout. Oh, that's great. And then two years later, they're divorced. Get married, start off strong. What happened? Somewhere along the line, they stopped governing their lives. And I know just probably a fraction as many people who started off and stayed strong in spite of life's circumstances, in spite of the things that life throws at us. And life will throw things at you. There will be difficult times, even like that song that we just sang There are people who still see the light that's coming and they hold on and they make it through. 
They have the fortitude to hold on and get past the problems, the struggles, the disappointments. And so what I wanted to do in the next three weeks is look at some of the characteristics that I see in those people who do overcome. And I have to start off and give kudos to Erwin McManus because I heard his series on this and this is where I just wanted to, to jump on with this. A while back, we did a four-part series called Being and Making Disciples, and we actually have the CDs available in back where we talk about what it is to be a disciple and how we make disciples. But what this is going to look at is how some people have the ability to, to see through the difficulties and what things maybe keep us from making it past those struggles, those problems, those areas where we give in and fall and fail. And so we want to look at those characteristics. And the first thing I want to look at is, is your mindset, how you see things. Norman Vincent Peale said, change the way you think and you will change your world. How you see things and how you perceive things in relationship to God and relationship to others in the world around you will have more effect on your life than just about anything else. You see, some of the smallest insight into Scripture may have the ability to help you make the right choices. And I've seen people, they just come to faith and they just get this little grasp and understanding of how the scriptures apply to their lives and it changes them. And I know people who know the Bible. They've been in Bible study since they were kids. They've gone to Sunday school. They know it backwards and forwards. They've gone to church three times a week for years and they still stumble, struggle, fall over and over again. And you wonder, what is it? They both seem to know the same information. How is it that this one gets past those struggles and this one just stays in the pit? And I believe a lot of it has to do with how they see things, how they see themselves, how they see God, and how they see themselves interacting with the world around them. Knowing the scriptures is great. It's important. But how you see those scriptures at work in your life and how you see your part in the world around you is as important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to look at clarity. You can turn with me there. A famous chapter and verse, I recited it yesterday at the wedding, something we hear usually at weddings. And starting at verse 8, Paul is writing and he says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul here gives us an idea, an understanding that we need to embrace. You see, a lot of times we think when I come to Christ, all of a sudden everything is made clear and right, right away. I became a Christian, everything's good. I know all that I need to know. And Paul, after all his years of walking and following Christ, comes to this place where he says, I don't see everything clearly. I see just a poor reflection. King James threw a glass darkly. I don't have the clarity that I'm going to one day have. 
And so I don't have all the insights. I don't have all the answers. Everything isn't made right all the time right now. And if we don't see ourselves clearly, how are we going to see anything clearly? If we don't have a clear understanding, then we need to recognize that there's going to be a lot of things that we do not see and understand clearly. I've got to admit my failure. When I first came to Christ, I just dove in into Bible study. I was at church probably five days a week. I was constantly in one study or another. I was reading the Bible. I was listening to cassette tapes. That's what they were back then. Some of you are going, huh? You're like a dog going, what? What's a cassette tape? And I was constantly just diving in and understanding, and I would just desire these things. And, and I thought I knew so much. I was quick to correct you. If you shared something from the scripture, oh, no, no, that's not right. And it didn't matter who you were. I was happy to help you see the light. I was help you get understanding. I, I, had, I was happy to share the wealth of my knowledge with you, even if it came across rather arrogantly. And there came more than one time, periods in my life, where I had to realize all the information you have isn't enough. You don't see things as clearly as you think you do. I'll never forget one time a close friend of mine, a person I had worked with, I was working at a church back then at the time, and I got a phone call, and I was, hey, man, how's it going? And he, his wife was pregnant, and he says, well, we just had the baby. And I, oh, congratulations. And he goes, well, there's some problems. And he went on and list the things that were problematic with her, the things that, she was deformed, and his wife had taken some medication during the pregnancy, and it caused some serious problems. And he said, well, she doesn't have thumbs, and she doesn't have the, the top palate of her mouth. And then he started crying, and he said, she doesn't have any eyes. And I got to tell you, all the scripture I knew didn't mean a thing if I couldn't help my friend. I could give him, oh, well, listen, hey, all things work together for the good. You know, don't worry about it. That does not cut it. You have to see where that person's at. You have to know where that person's at. And I realized at that point, I am so deficient in being able to help in so many areas of life. And giving you a scripture is not what you need. What you might just need is someone to cry with. And that's all I could do because I could not help him. And I realized then, and at that time, I, I left the office where I was working, and I just went to a park, and I just started crying, and I just said, God, I don't know how to help people. I don't know what it takes, because if I have all the knowledge and all the scriptural information, but I don't have your character, then I am missing the boat. You understand that? No amount of information is going to help you if you don't have the character and heart of God in you. They need to work together. And if you don't realize that, if you don't realize, well, I know all that. Oh, I know that scripture. Oh, I know that scripture. Well, is the character of God a part of who you are? Because if it's not, there is a chasm between where you need to be and where you are. And you will either become very arrogant and pharisaical or you will become a person who just stumbles and falls over and over again. And we need to understand this is an important correlation that we have to have not only the information about God, but the clarity and the information that we have is limited. We need to constantly be pursuing after these things. There's another passage I want to take you to, and it's in Mark, Mark chapter 8. And it's a story of Jesus healing someone, starting at verse 22. The way Jesus healed people is always interesting. In verse 22, Mark chapter 8, it says, 
They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village, which is interesting. When he had spit on the man's eyes, this isn't my favorite way of Jesus is healing people, and put his hand on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Here we see an instance where healing takes place in stages. Now, was it because Jesus couldn't heal him right away? I, I doubt it. Lazarus was dead. Remember that story? And Jesus didn't say, Lazarus, sit up. Lazarus, stand up. Lazarus, take a few baby steps. He just says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who was dead, came out. But for some reason, and I think it's for our understanding, this healing took place in stages. You know, we don't always see things the way we should. And even when we come to faith in Christ, we don't see but through a glass darkly. We don't see as we should. And sometimes we just see men walking around, but they kind of look like trees. We don't have the clarity to understand and grasp everything. We just see partially. And you see, I think this is an important step in this discipleship is to recognize that you are always going to have to see better, that there is always going to be a need to see more clearly, that we still, no matter how long we live here, just see but a poor reflection. That's why Paul at the end of his life could say, I am the chief of sinners. He had not yet arrived. He was constantly moving forward in this aspect. You see, if... If you realize you don't see things clearly, then you're going to be careful of how you move forward. But if you try to run when you don't see things clearly, you just might run into a tree that you thought was actually not a tree. You will be pushing yourself too fast, too hard, and you won't be able to identify with what's happening in your life. And that's, again, where you have to recognize this is a process. To be a disciple means to be a learner. Okay, a learner is someone who is always learning. That should never stop. And when you think you've got it, you don't. When you think you know what everything's all about, you don't. You are always having to see more clearly. And you see, that's the important thing. It's... It's the mechanic who always wants to find out how that new engine is working. It's the musician who always wants to, to do a little bit better. It's the doctor who wants to get up to date on the latest technologies, the latest procedures. They don't sit there. In fact, I, I remember one time a doctor and they said, well, you know, this doctor's kind of old school. He hasn't really been up to date with some of the latest technologies. Okay, I don't want that doctor. I want the one who knows how to use the latest things, the latest tools that are at his disposal. I don't want the guy coming out with that big metal thing on his head and a hammer and a chisel saying, we're going to work on those teeth now. Well, how do you get past that? You have to be learning. You have to be developing. And we have to do that as well. The people who I see pro progress in their faith, in their life with Christ, are the people who are striving to always see things more clearly, who are always wanting to know more. And the people who I see stumble and fall, and again, they either become very uh, pharisaical or else they just give up, are the people who think they have it all together and then life hits them upside the head and they say, I wasn't prepared for that. Well, you see, if you realize you don't see things clearly, you're going to walk more gingerly. You guys know what I mean? You ever wake up in the middle of the night? 
you know, and it's dark and you know there's a dog somewhere on the floor and you know there's a table, you know, and there might, your kid might have left something there, you know, a guitar case or whatever. And so you're not going to just go trucking through the living room, otherwise, bam, oh, boom, you hit the floor. Who left this here? Not that I would say anything like that, but you guys know what I'm talking about. When you don't see clearly, you take your time. Each step matters. You're groping to find your way. And you guys, the ones who move forward in our faith are the ones who realize we don't see clearly, but we desire to. We want to see a little bit more, a little bit better. And we strain to understand. And we invest our time our ability so we can understand and see things more clearly. The people who progress allow God to touch them over and over again and ask, what do you see now? What do you see now? They recognize the healing didn't happen all at once. That because we came to faith, we're not all better all of a sudden. Everything's good. We've been touched, but we need to be touched again. And there's a great example of this in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 14. You guys are familiar with this passage. If this was written today, it would be in the journal of psychiatric medicine somewhere i'm sure of it it's hard even just reading it and i'll try starting in verse 14 going on to the end it says we know that the law is spiritual but i am unspiritual sold as a slave to sin i do not understand what i do remember this is the apostle paul speaking i do not understand what i do for i what i want to do i do not do but what i hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh or my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing." I've got to stop and take a breath here. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, even though I'm struggling to read this, how many here say, oh, I know what he's talking about. I, I, can, I can relate to everything he's saying, even though it's a tongue twister. I know exactly what he's talking about. Goes on in verse 21, he says, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in, my, in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the flesh, or my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Okay, here's what's happening. Paul is saying there are two people in my head. There is a war going on inside of me. I know what I want to do, but I don't always do what I want to do because something is pulling me away. What is that something? What is this war that's waging in us? Because it's in every one of us. Mark my words, you have this and I have it to some degree. You see, who we are is made up 
by the things that we have lived and experienced throughout our lives. How you see the world is based on your upbringing, the people you've associated with, the things you've gone through. You bring a lot of baggage with you when you come to the feet of Jesus and say, I want to follow you. Jesus takes you. He makes you a new creation. He puts his spirit within you. And all of a sudden you have a desire to do the right thing. You get up and you start walking and pretty soon you find yourself being pulled back. I don't trust those people, man. You find bitterness coming in. You find just this resentment, unforgiveness, all these things. Why are there? You're a new creation in Christ. What's going on? Well, you see, your whole life has been a part of your now changing process. You're bringing all the things that you've gone through with you and they're warring against you. And some of you... That's a lot. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been cheated on. Some of you have been hurt in some very devastating ways. Some of you have been used. And now you come to faith in Christ and you know the truth, but boy, you have a hard time trusting people. And boy, you want to forgive your husband. You want to forgive this person. But man, it's just something that pulls you back and your mind has momentum from your past that is carrying itself with you. Now, how do you see yourself? You see, I love that the Paul says, he says, I see who I am, but there's a war that's going on. I, I know who I want to be. We are all shaped to some degree by the momentum of our past, but there is someone who you really are, who you are going to surrender to. And there are two stories that are being told in your life. The story of who you are outside of God and the story of who you are inside of God. There is the story of, of who you are going to be in God and the story of who you are outside of God. Which one are you believing? Which one is your destiny? Some of you, it's like you, you come to faith in Christ and I just can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I don't have the ability. I, I, I mess up. I mess up all the time. Huh, it sounds like we just read that. Sounds like Paul had that struggle. But you see, at the core, Paul said, I know who I am. I have been changed. And people, this is what faith is. It's believing in what Jesus has done in spite of your momentum of your flesh. It's believing in the work of God that he will complete it in you, what he's begun. And you have that understanding, this is really who I am. This other stuff is just the war that I'm going through. It is the battle that I'm engaged in. The one I really am is the one who wants to do the will of God. Some of you don't believe that. All you see is the good you want to do, but you don't do it. That's all you see. And you are stuck. And your discipleship goes to that place. Well, I'd like to do that, but I just don't do that. I want to do that, but that's too hard for me. Because you don't see who you really are. And by faith, you have to hold on and see with your mind what you need to be. Now, this isn't psychology. This is faith. That's why Paul in Romans 12 said, I beseech you by the mercies of God, present your bodies, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. How do you see yourself? If you see yourself as just not being able to do what you should do, then that's who you will be. But if you, like Paul, say, I know what I'm supposed to be. I know who I am. I just keep getting drugged down. I just keep battling in this war. We all come with different baggage. We don't all fight the same battle. 
Some of you grew up in a nice home. You had two loving parents who loved you, treated you well. Had a brother who never hit you. <laughs> um, what family is that? You grew up in a healthy home and you don't have a lot of baggage. Some of you carry a lot. And you see, we don't fight the same battle. And that's why we can't judge each other but want to help each other along because you don't know where that other person is coming from, what that other person is dealing with. And someone might be working 10 times as hard just to keep their nose above water from that person who, who comes to faith and doesn't have all those problems. You see, that's an interesting thing about the commandments of God. The Ten Commandments, even if you're not a person of faith, if you follow those things, you have a wholeness about you. Just because you don't do those things. But some of you, you've broken them all. And if you, should, if you did, you should be in jail because murder is one of them. <laughs> But some of you have gone through those things and, you know, you, you have been unfaithful. You've committed adultery. You're lying. You're, you're stealing. There's just a lot of things. And the more you do those things, the more they take you away from a person you're supposed to be. They, they take you to this place of brokenness. And now you come to faith and you have this understanding of who Jesus is. And you've got a hill to climb because you've been broken by so many things. You've been abused or have abused so many things. But who do you see yourself as? Are you a new creation in Christ? Or I just don't do what I know I should do. I'm just not good enough. Because by faith, you need to believe in these things. Some of you guys are in the trenches. And some of you are away from the conflict. It all depends on what you've brought into the battle. The key is, what story are you going to believe? When Paul goes through that discourse in chapter 7, who is going to win? Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ that with my body, though I'm sin, I, I am serving God. That God is at work in me and he's changing me. Even though I see through a glass darkly, a poor reflection, even though I see men walking as trees, even though things aren't as clear as they should be, I know who I am. That is the core of who I am. If you do not see that, you will not attain it. I'm telling you, that's what faith is. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You have to have that in your life. What story are you going to believe about yourself when Jesus asks you, what do you see? I belong to you. I am living for you. Or, well, I, I just can't. I'm not good enough. What do you believe? Because how you see that picture is going to determine your future. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And you can read the Bible and you can pray and you can do all the good things that you should do. But if you see yourself as just being defeated and not being a new creation in Christ, you will never get past those things. And you'll wonder, why is it? It doesn't seem to matter how often I read the Bible, and that's a good thing. It doesn't matter how much I pray, and praying's a good thing. You will never climb out of that pit because you just see yourself in this place. You don't see yourself going anywhere. I just, this is who I am. This is all I can be. This is the history I know. This is the person I'm bringing with me, and I just carry them, and that's all I know. And you have to get past that. I want to take you to one more passage, and that's in Galatians chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. Again, Paul is really dealing here with faith, that we are God's sons through faith in Christ and what Christ has done, that we're not Jews, we're not Greeks, we're not male or female, free or slaves, we, we belong to Christ. And he goes on in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, 
he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. This is faith in action. You see what, what he's saying is some of you, you, you have this knowledge of what you're supposed to be, but you never matured. You, like Paul talked about in 13, or Corinthians chapter 13, when you were a child, you acted like a child. Some of you are still childish in your faith. Well, I know I'm, I'm a Christian, but you know, I, I'm not really that way. I'm not really <clears throat> a son of God. I just, I have all this problem. I have all this baggage. You're not living who you're supposed to be in faith. And so you're like a son but you're immature and you can't give an immature kid his inheritance. He's not ready for it. You give it to him and he's going to squander it. He's going to blow it. He's going to crash the car. He's going he's to do something wrong with it. You can't be trusted because you're a child in your thinking. You haven't embraced and owned what Jesus has done for you. You haven't stepped into that role of what Christ has made you and me. And until you do take that by faith, you are just a child and have all the benefits of a slave. And you wonder, why am I so defeated? Why am I so just not able to get past this first step? Well, you haven't stepped into the faith that belongs to you through Jesus Christ. Because once you step into that, you're going to find out that you are indeed a son, that the kingdom of God belongs to you, that you can cry, Abba, Father, that he is your dad and he is there to help you move forward. Even though you don't see things clearly, even though you stumble and fall, you know who you are. You know what you are in Christ. And that is your destiny. That is what it means to be a child of God. That's what faith is, is to embrace what Christ has given you, not what you see in you. And to walk in that way continually, to exercise your life in faith continually, to get up, dust yourself off, and move on continually, and you'll find that pretty soon you're falling less. Pretty soon people are looking less like trees and more like people. Pretty soon you're going from glory to glory. And one day you will see him face to face. In the meantime, yeah, it's through a glass, darkly. It's, it's a clouded mirror. Now it's not what it should be. You see, and the, the underlying characteristic of who God is, is love. That's why that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, where we, we end with, we only know in part, we only see in part, it follows what love is, that love never fails. Because love doesn't give up, and God is love. And so when you find yourself not acting like God, when you find yourself not forgiving, when you find yourself not caring, when you find yourself bitter, when you find yourself selfish, then you can know that you are not acting in the character of God. And that you need to, to move out of this place. You need to, to see that that's not who I am. I am not going to live that way when you allow who Jesus is to take hold of you and start to change who you are, it's a slow process. It's a painful process. But if you don't let it happen, you'll never grow up. You'll be a kid who never gets their inheritance. And you'll stumble and you'll fall and you'll get up and you'll stumble and fall. And you'll say, no, this is just who I am. This is it. 
Oh, man, I'm bitter. Man, I'm not going to forgive that. I can't let go of that. I just can't let go of that. I'm going to hold Oh, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act in this way. Who, who, how, how do you see the world around you? What do you see? Who are you? Who do you believe you are? Because there's a war inside of you. One is saying, no, you ain't that. You ain't no child of God. Look at you. Don't you remember last night? You ain't no child of God. Remember last week? How could a child of God do something like that? There's a war. And there's another voice that's saying, you belong to God. You are a child of God. Who do you believe? And I believe Jesus is asking us, what do you see? Because how you see this battle and where you see yourself in this battle is going to determine your outcome. If you want to be free to choose your future, then you need to do the things that are going to help set you free. You need to step in those things that are going to bring freedom to you. Christ has made you free. If you take that perspective and move and live in it, you are going to find that you are free. Realize this. We don't see things clearly. We never will see them fully clearly until we see them face to face. If Paul said, I only see just a dark reflection in a mirror, guess what? You're going to see that too. And you're going to be needing to be touched by Jesus over and over and over again. There's going to be times in your life where you can only look up because you're on your back. And you're going to say, Jesus, I just see trees. And I need your touch. And you are going to be in that battle, that tug of war. The things I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that I do. Why do I do what I don't want to do? There's a, a war going on with my mind. I want to serve Christ, but my members, that, that old who I was, that past that's carrying with me is trying to pull me down. You need to get to a place where you finally say, thank God, through Jesus, I am a son. You know, I think one of the most astounding things to me is every now and then I, I'm able to look and actually see that, wow, I actually do care. I actually do love you, God. I actually don't want to sin. When did that happen? I, I touched you because before you used to see men like trees and I touched you and now you see a little bit clearer because you know who you're supposed to be. Keep walking. Have faith in what Jesus has done and I, I think you need to ask yourself the question, what do you see? Who do you see yourself as? Because that question, how you answer it, can determine the future. Because the ability to move forward takes you to a place where you need to see correctly. If you don't have the clarity of thought, you will never get past those obstacles. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, there are so many obstacles, so many things that blind us. God, it, it can be something from our past that we just can't seem to get over. It can be pride. We think we know more than we really do. There are so many things that war within us, that battle. 
for our devotion. And we are all in, in different battles here this morning. God, some of them are intense. Some of them are, are a hair's breadth away from devastation. God, I pray that you would touch our eyes this morning, that you would help us to see that we'd recognize that wherever we are, we still have room to grow. That we still are dependent on you. But may we believe what you are able to do. For those who have yet to put their faith in you, maybe they've come here this morning with friends or families brought them or they come but they really haven't had faith in you and and maybe they're understanding a little bit about the struggle and maybe that's a fear that they've had well i i can't i can't live that way so i i can't be a christian i can't follow jesus because i'm not like that god may they see that none of us are like that that it takes you to change us and it takes faith in you that you are able to change us may they take that step towards you and, and for some who are here who have been following you for years but have been falling into the same pit over and over again and they're just tired of being in that pit may this morning they recognize who they are and may they believe the truth about what you've done and not the lie that battles within us. May their minds be set on the completed work of Jesus Christ for their behalf, that it is enough to see them through all the difficulties. And God, your love never fails. It perseveres. It will see us through. You've begun the work. You will complete the work in each of us. God, may we see clearly. And may we discipline our lives. May we govern our lives. May we take the time to invest in the things that will produce what is right. May we recognize that we can't just leave it up to chance, just leave it up to you. You've given us our wills. And with them, may we take even the smallest steps. May we reach out, even just groping in the dark, to see more clearly. May it be the beginning of that journey towards you. We do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name.